To be honest with you, when I hear bananas on the freeway, I'm not thinking I'm praising the Lord. I'm thinking I'm praying for help. Uh, but, uh, hey, at, at this time, I want to uh, release the kids for Kids Connection. And uh, kids, you're free to go at this time. Now, I, I want to just commend uh, those of you men who are, are here today, especially those of you who are, are fathers, that one of the, the greatest ways that you can lead your family is just by being in church. And that just being here in worship with other believers, uh, setting an example uh, for your kids, uh, there is a, a real sense where it, uh, th- there is not a, a single uh, Father's Day message that I could give to you today. It's simply any message that we come to God's Word uh, is a message for you as fathers. And by opening your Bibles and being engaged with God's Word, you are um, being the father that, that God desires you to be and that, that God uh, will use you in your family's lives. So with that, would you please join me in turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and you can just grab one of those and follow along with us on page 978. Page 978. As we go to God's word, would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer, who redeemed me by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 7. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. If you ever find yourself lost at sea, I know that may be a challenge for those of us who are here in Oklahoma, but... In the event that you ever find yourself lost at sea, according to the U.S. Coast Guard, one of the greatest tools of your survi- for your survival is a handheld mirror. The, the power uh, of a handheld mirror is that it can reflect the light of the sun to an intensity of five to seven million candle power. 
that the reflection of the sun on a small handheld mirror is, is so powerful that this beam, this reflection can be seen even beyond the horizon. Which means even if you are not visible, this beam of light is visible and it's this beam of light that will direct the Coast Guard to find you. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says that we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. That God has, has designed his, his redemptive plan that he would bring lost people, men and women, boys and girls, into his family, making us his dearly loved children, that we would be transformed into reflections of his glory that lost people might be found. That what, what Paul is, is doing here is that he is, is picking up again the, the reminder that, that we are to be imitators of God, that, that our lives are to be reflections of God. And, and what does this specifically look like? It's, it's looking like a, this continuation of, of putting off these things that belong to the old life. And, and it's, it's putting on those things that belong to the new life. That, that we are, are putting on Christ in such a way that we will reflect him to the world. And so there's three particular areas uh, of ourselves that, that are intended to be reflections of God's glory. There's, there's our longings and our language and our lifestyle. And, and I want you to see how, how Paul is here uh, directing us to God's will for us, that, that there are, are things about our, our longings and our language and our lifestyle that are to be put off and in place gospel realities, things that God has given to us in Christ to be the right reflection of him that others might not be lost, but be found. Now, as, as we look at this passage this morning, this is a, a passage that, that really just causes us to have to confront sin, to face it. But I want to do more than simply cause you to, to, to face sin and its, its ugliness and its reality. I want you to see the motivation that God has given to us, the strength that God has given to us. Because, because I know that there's a heaviness, there's a heaviness for me in preparing this message this week. Just knowing that there are people who claim the name of Christ, there are people that, that claim to be Christians that have been gripped by these sins. These sins that, that are listed here have infiltrated their lives. So my desire in a message like this is that God's word would have its effect of freeing those who have been trapped by these deceitful desires. And that God's word would have its effect of protecting us from these, these schemes, these, these deceitful desires from the past that threaten to enslave us. So let's look at what God's purposes are for our longings and our language and our lifestyle. First of all, our longings must reflect our identity. Our longings must reflect our identity. 
This section here begins with Paul uh, calling out three particular categories of sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. The Greek word that is behind this word sexual immorality is the word porneia. That's where we get our word pornography. In the ancient world that there was quite a bit of ambivalence uh, about sexuality, that, that sex was viewed as natural and as necessary and as justified as eating and drinking. And so there were very little restrictions placed on sex, very, little, uh, very few taboos. That in many ways, their views of sex reflect much of the, the views even within our society today. It seems that today that the only line that cannot be crossed is the line of consent. But this is not the view of sexual morality that the Bible portrays. That in the Bible, sexual immorality is any sexual activity that is outside of the bounds of a biblically defined covenantal marriage. That God is the one who created sex When he brought Eve to Adam, it says at the end of Genesis 2 that the man and his wife, pay attention to that, his wife, were naked and they were not ashamed. The book of Proverbs uses the imagery of water to talk about God's ideal for sexuality. Listen to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. You know, I I don't think it's a coincidence that, that anywhere you go in the world where there's just water that's openly flowing in the streets, find disease. That anywhere in the world where where the water is not channeled and where it's not clean, that the whole society becomes infected. You know, this leads to the second category that's closely related to this. It's the category of impurity. That sexual immorality is impurity, but, but there's a prohibition here that, that against all impurity. In the Old Testament, impurity were, were those things that were most often associated with the tabernacle and the temple. A whole host of, of foods and, and even different uh, diseases and, and even articles of clothing. But when we get to the New Testament, Jesus particularly turns impurity not to a subject that is primarily outward, but to something that's inward, primarily a heart condition. And he says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. All impurity. This is reinforced in Romans 1 verse 24, where it says God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So the way that we need to understand impurity 
is impurity is, is any action that is motivated by a desire for something other than the glory of God. It really doesn't matter what you're doing. If the motivation behind that action is not for the glory of God, that's impure. And there's a particular desire that is not for the glory of God. It's this desire that's named here thirdly, and it's the desire of covetousness, coveting, which is also translated greed. And what all of these categories have in common is the, the underlying foundation of all of these sins is that these are self-focused expressions of life. That these are, are coming out of a heart that is focused on self. Sexual immorality is, is taking the, the physical desires and elevating them above God's ideal. That the impurity is ignoring the, the motivations uh, of my own heart and, and simply acting out of, of what I want rather than what glorifies God. That greed is seeing people as objects to be used rather than precious image bearers of God. You know, the, the reason why these particular longings are condemned is because they, they don't fit our identity. They don't fit who God has saved us to be. Look at verse 3. It says, These should not be named among you. Why? As is proper among saints. When Paul says, as is proper, he's saying, it's, it's what fits. These things don't fit you. Because you're saints. The word saint comes from the Latin word sanctus, which simply translates uh, the Greek word for holy. That, that a saint is one who is, is holy. Saints are, are not those who are the great heroes of church history. They're, they're not people that, that have sequestered themselves off from the rest of life doing nothing but religious activities. Saints are those who are holy which is all believers. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared to be holy by God. That, that when God has, has washed away your sins, you are holy. That's your identity now. You are a saint. The, the fundamental meaning of being holy is to be devoted to God. That now is who you are. As a Christian, you are devoted to God. That is your identity. You're no longer devoted to yourself. You're no longer devoted to your own desires. You're no longer devoted to your motivations. You are devoted to God. That our longings must now reflect our identity. That, that the longings of our heart must now reflect one who is devoted to God. Now, there may be some who are here this morning that are saying that you don't know my past. You don't, you don't know what, what I've done. I, I haven't honored God's ideal for sex. I, my, my motivations are twisted all, have been twisted all over the place. You don't know. Like, the reason where I am 
where I am today is because I was greedy. Well, there was a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah. And he had an encounter with God. And and as he encountered God in the temple, he was undone. He said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And in that confession, one of the angels that's flying around the presence of God comes and takes a coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and says, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away. Your sin atoned for. And Christian, God has done something even greater for you than touch a coal to your lips. He has washed you in the blood of his son who died in your place. See, the reason why God forgives your sins is so that he might cleanse you. That you might be cleansed of your past. Your past does not define you anymore. What defines you is your present identity. You are a saint. You are holy. You have been cleansed by God. You are devoted to him. Oh, do your longings reflect your identity? Secondly, our language must reflect our worship. Our language must reflect our worship. Paul turns from the actions to the words. If you look in verse 4, it says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Specifically, what, what Paul has in mind here is, how is it that we're talking about the things that God has created? How do we talk about what God has, has done? And he says, first of all, there must not be any filthiness. Filthiness is pretty straightforward. It's dirty talk. We shouldn't be talking about anything that God has declared to be good as if it's dirty. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 says, For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. What, what is foolish talk? The word here, foolish talk, it, this is the only time it occurs anywhere in Scripture. But, but the root here that's translated foolish, does show up in other places. And one of the places it shows up is Titus 3, 9, that says, but avoid foolish controversies, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So, so I take this to mean that, that foolish talk is, is talk that is unprofitable. It, it, it doesn't produce good, or it's talk that's worthless. So when we think about foolish talk, we should be thinking about this is talking about things in a way that devalue them, that we talk about them with lower value than than they actually have, or it's, it's unprofitable because we are talking about something in a way that we are lifting it up and giving it more value than it deserves. And then third, believers must not use coarse joking. The word here, again, this is the only time it occurs anywhere in the Bible. But this, this word is, is literally a bringing together of two Greek words that mean easy turn. What, what, what's being prohibited here is, is a particular kind of joking that's an easy turn of a phrase. What we might call double entendre or 
innuendo. It's taking things that are innocent and, and turning them quickly into something that's impure. It's a, a twisting of the meaning uh, of words for a quick laugh. It's taking things that are serious and turning them into things that are to be joked about. None of this, none of this talk should find anything in our language. You can, you can see pretty quickly how this does relate to those first sins of sexual immorality that we shouldn't be talking about sex in any way that talks about it as, as dirty, that, that talks about it as devalues, devaluing it. We shouldn't talk about it in any way that is, is twisting it, trying to, to make a quick innuendo as a, as a joke. But this goes way beyond just the way we talk about sex because this goes to all of our joking this goes to the way we talk about other ethnic groups. This goes to the way we talk about physical uh, abilities or disabilities. This goes to the way that, that, we talk, that men talk about women and women talk about men. You see, underlying all of this is, is really a question of our worship. Because in the next verse... As, as Paul is talking about these sins, he says that those who are covetous, verse 5, that is an idolater. An idolater is, is one who, who is worshiping anything other than God. That, that really, how we talk is a reflection of our worship. And that's why when Paul says that these, these kinds of talking are not to have anything in, in the conversation of a believer, what's there to be instead? Look at verse for instead let there be thanksgiving this is a little bit surprising the, the how is it that the thanksgiving is the appropriate replacement for dirty joking well it's it's simple that when when god is the object of your worship you become very aware of his presence his presence with you at all times. That when God is the subject of your worship, you recognize that, that he is the creator of everything. He has given you everything. That when God is the object of your worship, he is the one who has redeemed you. He has freed you from your sin and he's given you new life. All of these things then is an attitude of thanksgiving. Just as it would be completely inappropriate even just beyond your thinking to demean a gift that your grandmother gives you right in front of her how much more should we not demean any of the good things that god has given us in in his presence see our our language must reflect our worship thirdly our lifestyle must reflect our destiny. Our lifestyle must reflect our destiny. Notice how Paul returns to the first three sins he's named there in, in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous. But there's an intensification here. When he first talked about him in verse 3, these are the actions. But now he's, he's gone below the actions. That, that he's not talking about simply the acts of sexual immorality, the acts of impurity, the acts of greed. 
He's not simply talking about the desires for these things. He's now talking about people who are characterized by these sins. This is the lifestyle of these people. And there are serious consequences for this lifestyle. For those who are characterized by sexual immorality, for those whose lives are characterized by impurity, whose lives are characterized by greed, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's what it says right there. Has no inheritance. You currently do not have the inheritance of Christ if this is your lifestyle. And those who do not have this inheritance presently, unless there is a transformation of their lives and unless they receive this inheritance from God due to the work of Jesus Christ and and putting faith in him, they will not have this inheritance for all of eternity. There is no eternal life for them. But there's an additional seriousness to this. There's a second consequence. Because we see in verse 6 that it says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes. The wrath of God comes. It's, It's a present reality. For those whose lives are characterized by sexual immorality and impurity and greed, they are under the wrath of God presently. And unless there is a transformation of their lives, unless God intervenes and saves them by the work of Jesus Christ and their faith in Him, they will experience His wrath forever. Separated Him from him for all of eternity in hell. Paul knows that there is a temptation to try to mute these warnings. It happened in the Old Testament under the prophet Jeremiah. The false prophets are rebuked by God. Jeremiah 6 verse 14. He says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. The false teachers in the book of Jude were teaching that the grace of God now gave a license for immorality. Paul says, do not be deceived by those empty words. These are the real consequences of God on sin. One of the ways that God keeps his children close to him is through the warnings of Scripture. If this warning is going to do its work, we have to pay very careful attention to who is being talked about here. Because who is this that has no inheritance? Who is this that's under the wrath of God? Verse 6 It's the sons of disobedience. Who are these sons of disobedience? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 uses the sons of disobedience to describe those who are dead in sin, who are under the prince of the power of the air. But Christian, that is not you. Chapter 5 verse 1 says that 
that we are the dearly loved children of God, that we are those who have received Christ, who gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christian, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, your inheritance of eternal life is sure. Christian, because of your belief in Jesus Christ, you are no longer under the wrath of God. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means that your destiny is not a destiny of wrath. Your destiny is a destiny of of God's joy and eternal life. That means that these sins have no place in our lives. We are not headed for wrath. Therefore, these sins of immorality and impurity and greed don't have any place with us. We, are ha- we have an inheritance from God in Jesus that is eternal life that will never end. Therefore, these sins have no place in our lives. So I ask, What do you do if the characteristics of your life are that you are sexually immoral, you are impure, you are greedy? Oh, it's not enough to simply stop sinning. Oh, you need more than that. You need to fly to Christ. You need to come to him and you need to seek his forgiveness. Cast yourself before him and ask for mercy. What you need is a new heart You need to be transformed into a dearly loved child of God that you may be free of the wrath of God, that his wrath would be removed from you and that you would live a life that matches the destiny that God has saved you for, that you would live a life of an imitator of God. He is... Does your lifestyle match your destiny? As as we hear these words, these are sober warnings. I'm reminded of a scene early on in the Fellowship of the Ring. Where Bilbo, the hobbit, has a ring but this magic ring actually has Bilbo. It's captured him. And the wizard Gandalf shows up and he says to Bilbo, you need to give up the ring. Bilbo says, what business of yours is it what I do with my stuff? And Gandalf says, oh, Bilbo, You've had the ring too long. You need to get rid of the ring. And Bilbo fires back. You're just trying to take it for yourself. And Gandalf thunders. Bilbo Baggins, do not take me for a conjurer of cheap tricks. But then he comes with a voice of tenderness. He says, I'm not trying to rob you. I've come to help you. That's that's what God has done to us in his word. God has not come to you today to rob you of pleasure. God has not come to rob you of happiness or satisfaction. That God has come to help you. 
God has come to help you find pleasure and happiness and satisfaction in him forevermore. May we be the people whose longings reflect our identity. May we be the people whose language reflects our worship. And may we be the people whose lifestyle reflects our destiny. Let's pray.